Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, I'm Ryan McCrary, and to start today's episode off, I'm going to be talking about two huge trades we've seen in the NBA over the last week. We saw Damian Lillard get traded to the Milwaukee Bucks, Andrew Holiday get traded to the Portland Trailblazers, and then to the Boston Celtics. Those are two huge moves I want to talk about. After that, I'm going to get into some college football. I want to talk about Caleb Williams a little bit and the season that he's having. After that, I want to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs and why I believe they are not the same team they've been over the last two years. I also want to talk about the AP poll a little bit and why I have some big problems with the AP Top 25. After that, we're going to transition to the NFL, talk about the Buffalo Bills, who just had a huge win versus the Miami Dolphins. After that, I want to talk about my Atlanta Falcons, who honestly just look like a giant mess at the moment. I want to talk about that, why they're struggling, and what they will do moving forward, especially with their quarterback situation. And then lastly, I want to talk about some rookie quarterbacks in the NFL. There were three quarterbacks drafted in the first round of this year's draft. We got C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Bryce Young. I want to talk about those three guys and how they are performing so far this season. That's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's get started by talking about the Damian Lillard trade. So for the last couple of months, this is basically all that anyone can talk about in the NBA and NBA media. It was crazy. Like The amount of articles I've seen written about Damian Lillard and his trade request and where he could possibly be traded to, which team would be the best fit, it's crazy. It's made me want to pull my hair out, but we're finally here. He's been traded, and I believe it was Thursday that he was traded to the Milwaukee Bucks, which was a huge surprise. I don't know if anybody expected him to be traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. I know I didn't. Uh, I'm not sure that it was made public that he was interested in going there before he was traded to the Bucks, but apparently they were eventually put on his list of teams that he was interested in going to. Um, for a while, for months, he's been wanting to go to the Miami Heat. The Trailblazers have tried to trade him to Miami, but they just couldn't get a deal done. Um, and they actually made a really good trade here. I kind of liked what the Trailblazers did here. So let's go ahead and look at the trade details. I'm pulling them up on uh, Twitter, now X. I don't really, what do we call it now? I, I, I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm not sure how that's working for anybody else. We got the trade pulled up here. So it was a, a three-team trade, including the, the Trailblazers, the Bucks, and the Phoenix Suns. So the Bucks got Damian Lillard. The Trailblazers got Drew Holiday, the Andre Ayton, to Tomani Kamara, a 2029 first-round Bucks pick, and a Bucks pick swap. And then the Suns got uh, Yusuf Nurkic, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen. So a really big trade, including three teams. I think the longer that this whole situation played out, the more likely it seemed that this was going to be a three a three team trade. And over the last like week or two, it was being reported that the Suns were interested in Yusuf Nurkic and that they were interested in trading DeAndre Ayton. And the, the DeAndre Ayton part of this is really interesting to me. I know that he and the Suns have had some issues over the, over the last like year. Um, and so him being traded was not really surprising, but it is interesting that the Suns or that the, uh, the Blazers were able to get him swapping Nurkic for Ayton. 
Um, let's go ahead and start off with the Bucks because they get Damian Lillard, and wow, like I cannot believe that the Bucks got Damian Lillard. When I got the notification that this trade had gone through, I literally audibly gasped. I, I was like, what? Like, the Bucks got Lillard? And I think this is a huge deal because Damian Lillard is literally one of the best players in the NBA. I don't think people realize just how good he is. And, like, he was awesome last year. And I felt like his performance last season was criminally underrated. I thought he was playing at an MVP level. I mean, I thought he was he should have been a top-five MVP candidate. I thought he was awesome last year. He's one of the best offensive players in the league right now. He's an elite scorer, um, a really good ball handler, just an awesome half-court player. And that's what the Bucks have been missing. They... Just over the last couple of years, they have not had an elite ball handler who can create at, at a very high level in half-court settings, and now they have that. Now they have a guy who's one of the best shooters in the league, can shoot off the dribble, can score off the dribble. He's just a phenomenal offensive player. He isn't a great passer, but he can still create shots for his teammates because his scoring gravity is so good. Um, and, and this is what the Bucks have been missing. They haven't really had a guy like Damian Lillard to put next to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And this makes their half-court offense a lot better. And now that Lillard and Giannis are paired together, I think it's going to make them better individual players. I think that Dame, now he doesn't have the entire offense on his shoulders. He can play a little bit more off the ball um, a little bit. He's still going to be playing on the ball a lot. I think he's going to be handling the ball a majority of the time in Milwaukee. But he can let Giannis play on the ball a little bit. He can play off the ball more. And I think that this will allow him to focus more on defense. He isn't a great defender, um, and I'm not sure that's going to change in Milwaukee. But maybe now he can focus more on that end of the floor, can can put more effort in on, on defense, and maybe his defensive impact will be better in Milwaukee. And, that, and that's what I'm hoping for. Um, there's no guarantee that will happen, but just thinking this through in my head. And for Giannis, this is huge for him. I think he's going to take uh, a step forward next season. Um, because he doesn't have to handle the ball all the time. He doesn't have to be the Bucks half-court creator, which is huge. That's not his thing. That's not where he is best at. He can play off the ball more. He can be more of a screen and roller, which is huge. He can play in the post a bit more. Um, and obviously, he can still handle the ball a little bit, attack the basket, which is what he's great at. But I, I just think that this pairing is awesome. Um, and I think that this trade gives the Bucks what they've been missing in the playoffs. And I think that this makes them one of the better teams in the league. Like, I think that they should be one of the favorites now. And they are. I, I was looking at championship odds recently. They are now the favorites to win the title. They jumped... They jumped a lot of teams after the, after the Dame trade. They jumped the Nuggets, the Celtics, and the Suns. Um, I know it may seem weird that the Suns were top three, but they were uh, for whatever reason. But now the Bucks are seen by Vegas as the the favorites to win the championship, and I think it makes sense. I mean this it, this trade does hurt their depth a little bit, but. I don't really care all that much. If you're getting a player like Damian Lillard, it's worth it. Um, he's awesome. 
a really good player, and I think I think he is a perfect fit for the Bucks' offense. I think this is what they've been missing, and I think this is the trade they needed to make, not only to keep Giannis in Milwaukee, which is something that has been um, reported on the last couple of months, uh, the possibility that he might leave, uh, but also because it helps them uh, try to win their second championship. And so overall, I love this trade for the Bucks. Thought it was awesome. Loved it. For the Trailblazers, it's really interesting um, because they got Drew Holiday, they got DeAndre Ayton in the deal, um, they also got uh, Tumani Kamara, who I don't really know much about him, um, so I'll have to do some research on him, but they also got a first round pick from the Bucks in 2029, and they got a pick swap from the Bucks. That's like a really good package for Damian Lillard, or at least it was compared to like what I thought they were going to get. Like I thought if they traded them to Miami, they were going to get like Tyler Hero and Picks, uh, maybe like Nikola Jovic, but this is like a really good package, a better package than I originally thought they were getting, so shout out to the Blazers GM for not panicking, not making a trade too soon, and getting a really solid package uh, for Damian Lillard, and for the Suns, interesting trade, um, you get Nurkic in, uh, in return uh, for Aiden, you also get uh, some nice depth pieces like Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen, I don't love the trade for the Suns, but I don't hate it, like I don't really have strong opinions either way, I think trading Aiden for Nurkic was a little bit odd, uh, but I do really like the, the addition of Grayson Allen, and I do think this trade helps out their depth a little bit, which was a big issue. It was a, a big concern of mine, so I do like that part of the deal, but um, yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see what their big man rotation looks next season. I think that's going to hurt them a lot. They don't really have great rim protectors, and I think that's going to hurt them in the playoffs, especially when you go up against teams like the Nuggets, the Lakers, um, and then, like, if you were to make it to the finals, I think that's going to hurt you when you go up against teams like the Bucks, the Celtics, the 76ers, the Heat, um, so it, I think this, um, after all the things, all the moves that they've made, uh, during the offseason, I think the Suns are in a really weird position. I like what they have with Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, those guys form an awesome trio, especially on offense. Like, they can legitimately have the best offense in the league next season, but, man, the lack of depth, the lack of rim protection, it's really going to hurt them, in my opinion. They don't have uh, one guy who's a great passer, which I think could also hurt them a little bit. Um, so, it's really interesting to see what the Suns have done this offseason. Hopefully, things will work out for them. Now, we can move on and talk about the Drew Holiday trade that the Trailblazers made. So, let me pull up those details. Because after the Trailblazers traded Damian Lillard, um, it, it was reported immediately that they were interested in trading Drew Holiday. And they ended up doing that, trading him to the Celtics. And in this trade, the Trailblazers received Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, a 2024 first-round pick, and a 2029 first-round pick. And the Celtics received Drew Holiday. Interesting trade all around. Um, once again, solid package for the Trailblazers. And overall, I like what they've done, um, trading uh, Damian Lillard and Drew Holiday. They've gotten a lot out of that. They've gotten a lot of picks, some nice young players. Um, <laughs> I think that this that they they've done they've done well for themselves. Um, so shout out to the Blazers GM once again. I think that he 
I think that he did a pretty good job handling um, these trades, and, and I thought that he got a lot of a lot of nice pieces in return. And for the Celtics, this is huge because they didn't get Damian Lillard, which really stinks. And I, I thought it was a mistake that they didn't go after him more um, and that they allowed him to go to the Milwaukee Bucks. But even with that, they still were able to get a, a nice player in through a holiday. Um, and this gives them a really nice starting five of Derek White, Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Chris Stapps Porzingis. Now, it does hurt their depth a little bit. Um, their depth is, is, is a big issue. But to be honest, that is a pretty big problem for a lot of contenders in the NBA right now. Recently, I wrote an article about like, breaking down the top five uh, teams and championship odds and what we can expect from them next season. And a big issue that I noticed with a lot of teams is that not a lot of teams, not a lot of the top teams in the NBA right now have great depth. And I'm pulling up the Celtics depth chart right now. Um, and I want to look at their bench a little bit. So after the starting five, they have Peyton Pritchard, Al Horford, um, Lamar Stevens, Oshai Brissett, and Sam Hauser. Um, now... Their 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 front court looks a little bit rough, um, or or not as good as it as it originally did. Originally, they it looked like they were gonna have a really nice front court with some really nice depth with Porzingis, Horford, and Robert Williams. Now they don't have Robert Williams, and so they're going to have to rely on Al Horford a little bit more than I think they originally wanted to. But still, they have um two two they have a solid big in Horford and a really good big man in Kristaps. Zingas. I think this defense, this trade, really improves their defense. Like a, a lineup with Drew Holiday, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kristaps Porzingis is really good defensively. Their point of, point of attack defense is going to be really good, um, and I think that this trade is really good for them. I think it, it it's a nice trade that they needed to make after Damian Lillard went to the Bucks. I think it keeps them as legitimate contenders um, in the NBA at the moment. So I like that. It does hurt their depth a little bit. I do wonder about their shooting a little bit um, and, and what their wing depth is going to look like in the playoffs. Um, it's going to take a lot of good coaching decisions. Um, their coaching is going to be huge in the playoffs. Their rotations are going to have to be really smart. Um, so that's something that I, I'm interested in moving forward. But yeah. Um, I think that these trades were awesome. A lot of big moves in the NBA. Now the NBA is looking a lot different. Um, and I think that this trade is huge for the Nuggets. Because um, now, like, I don't know who's going to really contend with the Nuggets in the West. I think the Suns have done a lot of good things. I think that they've made a lot of big moves. But honestly, I don't think it's enough for them to get past the Nuggets. Um, obviously, the Lakers can give the Nuggets some trouble potentially, but... Other than that, I think the Nuggets are going to be making it to the finals again. I don't think they're going to have a lot of trouble unless they suffer injuries. But if they stay healthy, I expect the Nuggets to come out of the out of the Western Conference. And after all these trades, I think that the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference. I wouldn't be mad if you argued the Celtics are the best team. Um, they definitely could end up being the best team in the East. They were last year. They were statistically one of the best teams in the league, probably the best team in the league last, last season, um, and, and they have gotten better through the Drew Holiday trade, 
But the name, the name trade is huge. Getting a getting a guy like Dame, uh, it's going to do a lot for the Bucks. So I think the Bucks are. I, I think the Bucks have the edge over the Celtics. But yeah, one of those two teams should come out of the East this year. I'd be kind of surprised, kind of shocked if a team not the Bucks or the Celtics came out of the East this year. But yeah, so those were two huge moves we saw in the NBA this week. Now we can move on and talk about some college football. Uh, starting off with Caleb Williams, who was having an excellent season this year. Once again, I mean, he has been awesome for the last three seasons. Um, he's having a really good year. Let me pull up his stats real quick on sportsreference.com. Let me go up and pull up the quarterback stats. Pull, wow. Pull up the quarterback stats. So, um, he's been one of the more productive quarterbacks in the league this year. Um, his his production's been insane. He is one of the more productive quarterbacks in college football in terms of both uh, volume and efficiency. I get the numbers pulled up right here. Right now, he has um, he's completing seventy four point five percent of his passes, throwing for one thousand six hundred and three yards, twenty one touchdowns, and just one interception. He leads the league in passing touchdowns, um, and he's top six. Yeah, he's sixth in passing yards. Um, he's been really efficient. He leads the nation in yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, and passer rating. So he's been just wildly produ- productive this year as a passer. Um, and the advanced numbers are really good too. He has a really high PFF grade. Um, he's been pretty productive as a runner. He doesn't have elite production in that department, but still, um, he's been really, really good. Um, and this week, he had an awesome performance against Colorado. Let me pull up that game. USC ended up winning that matchup 48-41. to um, It was, USC was rolling early in this game. They were up big early. I think they were up 21 to nothing at one point. Um, but then after the, after the first half, Colorado was able to come back, made it a, a close game, but USC was able to pull it out in the end. And I'm going to look at Caleb, Caleb Williams' numbers from this game. He completed 30 of 40 passes for 403 yards, 6 touchdowns, and 1 interception. It was a really good game for him. He played extremely well, and he had a QBR of 93.1, which is awesome. He had a few big throws in this game, but honestly, I thought that it that the numbers overstated how good he was. I think when you look at the numbers, you're like, whoa, like, that's an awesome day, and he was good. I'm not saying he was bad or anything, but um, I thought that he would have some more big-time throws in this game. That's my opinion, uh, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but yeah, he's been awesome, and he's honestly gotten better in some areas over the last year. I think he's gotten better in terms of accuracy. He's been more accurate this season than he was a year ago. He's gotten better at avoiding sacks, which is huge. I, I think that's very important for quarterback prospects, so that's awesome to see. Now, he has gotten worse in other areas, like under pressure. His PFF grade under pressure last year was around 85, which is insane. That, I think that's what Joe Burrow's um, PFF grade under pressure was in 2019 when he was coming out. That is a ridiculous mark, but this season, he hasn't been as effective under pressure. This year, his PFF grade under pressure is under 40. It's in the 30s, which is really, really low. 
and that's something that he's got to clean up as the season progresses. The fact that he's already performed well under pressure last year, I think that's great to see, and that makes me not as worried about his performance under pressure this season, but still, you want to see him get better under pressure throughout the season, because we know he can. He can he can perform under pressure. We just got to see him do it this year. Um, and I think that Caleb Williams is probably going to win the Heisman if he can, conti- can, can continue performing at this level throughout the season. He's been really good, um, and the production has been awesome. USC's been awesome. They've been good. They're undefeated. They're a top 10 team. So if he can, can continue playing well and USC can continue winning, I think that Caleb Williams can win the Heisman again, and he can end up having another season with a PFF grade of 90 plus, which is insane. He's had a 90, uh, a PFF, a PFF grade of 90 plus every season he's been in college, which is awesome to see. Um, so yeah, Caleb Williams, he's been awesome this season. He's having an excellent year once again. So shout out to him. He's been awesome to watch. Now let's move on and talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. So this past weekend, Georgia faced off against the Auburn Tigers, which is a huge rivalry, big rivalry game there, Um, and it was really close. I'm an Auburn fan. I'm a huge Auburn fan, and going into this game, I thought that it was not going to be very competitive. I thought Auburn could keep it a little closer than people thought, but still, I thought that it was going to be a blowout. I thought Georgia was going to be able to handle Auburn um, with relative ease, and that's not what happened. Auburn was very competitive in this game. They had a 10-0 lead early in the game. Um, now, obviously, Georgia was able to come back, and they won 27-20, to but man, it was a really good game, um, and the reason I want to talk about Georgia is because I don't think that they are nearly as good as they've been the last two seasons. Obviously, they're the number one ranked team in the country at the moment. They're 5-0, and so they haven't had too much trouble. It's not like they've lost the game they shouldn't have won, but still, I have not been very impressed by their performance so far this season. I wasn't really impressed with their performance against Auburn. Auburn is a good team with a really good defense, but man, their offense is kind of a mess. They can't really throw them all. The last, I think it's the last six games they've had against a Power 5 team, they, they've thrown for less than 100 passing yards. Like, they just cannot throw them all right now. Their passing attack is very weak. But still, they were able to give Georgia a lot of trouble. They were able to score 20 points against what should be one of the better defenses in the entire country. Um, so that's a big reason why I wasn't very impressed with Auburn this week, or with, sorry, with Georgia this week. And I just haven't been impressed with their performance for the entire season. Obviously, Brock Bowers was awesome this weekend. Gotta, gotta give him a shout out. He was ridiculous against Auburn. Um, he's an awesome player, and he, he played at a very high level against Auburn. Um, but I'm looking at Georgia's schedule right now. So in week one, they played UT Martin, won 48-7. In week two, they played Ball State, won 45-3. And then in week three, they played South Carolina. They had two cupcakes in the first two weeks of the season. Then they played an SEC opponent in week three. And we're expecting to win pretty easily. I think the line in that game was 21. Um, and they won by just 10 points. 
Um, and and it, it was a, a bit of a struggle. South Carolina gave them a lot of trouble in this game, but obviously they were able to they were able to pull away in the second half. And then in week four, they played UAB and they won 49 to 21. Let me look at the line in that game. Um, I just want to see how, and I'm looking at lines here because I just want to see how Georgia is playing or performing relative to the expectations of Vegas, which, you know, obviously Vegas is setting lines based on, like, a lot of data. So I want to see how Georgia is performing based on the lines. And so against UAB, the line was 40. They won by 28, so they didn't cover there. Um, and they didn't cover by a lot. Like, they they were not even close to covering in that game. And then against Auburn, the line was either 14, 14 and a half, and they won by seven. So things like that. Like, if Georgia, I'm really critical of Georgia at the moment. And if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen that. Like, I've talked about, about my thoughts on Georgia. And I don't think Georgia's bad. I don't think that at all. Georgia is a good team. Like, they are a really good team. However, um, I just... They, they haven't had a super tough schedule uh, five weeks into the season, and I thought that they would prove that they were the, num- the number one team in the country by destroying every team they played and by destroying these solid teams like South Carolina and Auburn, and they haven't. They haven't looked dominant in these, in these games against solid SEC opponents. Um, and, and I thought they, that, that they would. And because they haven't, I don't think that they should be ranked number one in the nation at the moment. And that leads to another thing I want to talk about, and that is the AP poll. So I am pulling up the AP poll right now. Um, they were released yesterday on Sunday. I'm recording this on Monday. Um, and right now, Georgia's number one. I'll, I'll just go through the top ten. Georgia's number one. Michigan is number two. Texas is number three. Ohio State is number four. Florida State is number five. Penn State is number six. Washington is number seven. Oregon is number eight. USC is number nine. And Notre Dame is number ten. Um, and the reason why I have a big issue is that I don't agree with the top of the, of the rankings. I don't think Georgia should be number one, and I don't think that Michigan should be number two. I think like, if I if it were my decision, I would probably have Texas number one, Ohio State number two, and Florida State number three. Um, and then I would consider Georgia and Michigan, but honestly, I probably wouldn't have either of those teams top five. And a big reason why is because their schedule just hasn't been very hard. Um, and a lot of teams have played more difficult schedules and are undefeated. And because of that, I think that Georgia and Michigan should be lower in the rankings. We, I, I understand why they're at the top, because they started the year out ranked number one and number two, respectively. Um, and so they haven't lost a game, so voters are not going to be willing to move them down. But still, we are five weeks into the season. Games have to matter. I mean, like, Texas has a win against Alabama and a win against Kansas. Like, they destroyed Kansas this past weekend. I know that game was, was close uh, for a lot of it, but they ended up pulling away, and they won by 26. Big win for Texas. Um, and, and they have a big win against Alabama, like I mentioned. And that's a really nice resume. Like, their resume is good enough to be the number one ranked team in the country. And so to not have Texas ranked ahead of Georgia, I think Georgia would have to be just unbelievably dominant against their schedule. And they haven't. They just haven't. 
And even if you wanted to argue that Georgia was just the most talented team in the country, um, that they are just purely the best team in the country, they aren't. And I'm going to pull up some, some stats here. They haven't been the best team in the country so far. They aren't. Like, there is literally no argument for Georgia being the number one ranked team in the country, except for the fact that they started off the year number one and haven't lost a game. But if that's your argument... I personally just don't think that is a strong argument at all. And I think games have to matter. I think resumes have to matter. I think that that's what the resume is for. The resume really, or sorry, the rankings aren't a power ranking. They've never been a power ranking. They've usually been, like, they've always been more of a resume ranking. And um, ESPN has a lot of stats. They have a strength of record, which is basically a measure of each team's resume. It just measures how likely the average top 25 team would have their record against their schedule. And in this metric, Texas ranks number one, Florida State ranks number two, and Ohio State ranks number three. And I'm going to look at Georgia here. Georgia ranks seventh in strength of record. And then ESPN also has FPI which is basically a measure of team strength, just how good is each team. Um, and in this metric, Georgia ranks 7th. So why is Georgia ranked number 1? Why? We already know why. They started the year off number 1 and haven't lost, so voters aren't going to move them. But, like, come on. Like, the rankings have to mean something. And we are, like, we are five weeks into the season. We, we have played enough games to move the rankings around. And I just don't get why we aren't rewarding teams like Texas, who scheduled Alabama, one of the better programs in college football, and even like Ohio State, who scheduled Notre Dame, or Florida State, who scheduled LSU. Why are those teams not being rewarded for scheduling difficult non-conference opponents? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'm going to stop ranting and move on. Those are my thoughts about the Georgia Bulldogs. I do want to say before I move on, I do think Georgia's good. They're a top 10 team. I, 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 don't want, I don't want it to seem like I think they're bad. They aren't bad. They're very good. They're one of the better teams in college football. And they deserve to be ranked top 10. I just don't think that they have played well enough versus a weaker schedule to be ranked number one. And I think other teams have shown against much tougher schedules that they are more deserving of that top spot than they are. And I think that Georgia should probably be ranked outside the top five until they play harder opponents and start looking better on the field. Um, and then we get that opportunity. Um, next week they play Kentucky and they will get to play some ranked SEC opponents, which will help their, their resume out a lot if they're able to win those games. But yeah, so now we can move on. I'm done ranting about Georgia. I'm done ranting about the AP poll and college football rankings. Let's go ahead, move on, and talk about the Buffalo Bills. So this weekend, the Buffalo Bills put the NFL on notice. They beat the Dolphins 48-20, and this was the game of the week heading into the week. I mean, everyone was circling that game. This was the matchup of the week, and man, the Bills looked good. And a big reason why there was so much hype about this game is because the Dolphins have been playing extremely well. They've been awesome offensively. I actually talked about them on the last episode of this podcast. 
They've been awesome offensively, and so people were expecting them to give the Bills a lot of trouble. Well, that didn't happen. The Bills won this game handily, won by 28 points, and it was an awesome performance by them. Let me go ahead and pull up the box score here. Um, so the bill, the Bills looked really good on both sides of the ball. Um, they performed really well. Josh Allen was awesome. Their defense was awesome. And I'll get into their defense a little bit more later. But I want to talk about Josh Allen specifically, who had a really good day. He had uh, 320 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, took two sacks, had a QBR of 89, and had a passer rating of 158.3, which is a perfect passer rating. He also had uh, four carries for 17 yards and a rushing touchdown. So Josh Allen had five total touchdowns in this game. He was really efficient, averaged 12.8 yards per pass attempt, um, completed 21 of 25 passes, didn't have many negative plays, only had zero interceptions and two sacks, which is awesome to see. He was really good. Stephon Diggs was really good. He had six catches for 120 yards and three touchdowns. Um, but mainly, I want to talk about the Bills' defense. Like I said earlier, heading into this game, the Dolphins' offense was playing at a historic level. They were dominating, dominating teams offensively, scoring. Um, they were just really efficient, both in their passing game and their run game. And in this game, their offense wasn't terrible, but it wasn't nearly as good as it has been. Um, and it, mainly their passing attack wasn't as good. And that's one thing I was really impressed by the Bills. The Bills' defense, their pass defense, came to play. They held the Dolphins to 282 passing yards, um, eight point, or, um, let me see, uh, I think 8.1 yards. Um, let me actually look. I'm, I'm reading these stats wrong. Let me go to the, to the team stats. So they held the Dolphins to um, 6.4 yards per pass, which is awesome. Um, that's a really good mark. The Dolphins um, have, been, have been above that the first couple weeks of the season. They also forced an interception. They uh, sacked Tua four times. So they were able to put a lot of pressure on Tua in this game, which is awesome to see. And Tua's been really good this year at avoiding sacks. He couldn't really do that in this game. So shout out to the Bills uh, for that. Um, now, the Dolphins were really good running the ball. They had 142 rushing yards and were averaging 7.5 yards per rush. But unfortunately, they were down early in this game, so they were forced to throw the ball. And let me go through the scoring in this game. It's crazy how dominant the Bills, the Bills were. Let me go to the play-by-play -play and look at the scoring. So the Bills were up 14-7 after the first quarter. And then the, the Dolphins responded early in the second quarter with a touchdown from DeMont Achain to make it 14-14. And then the Bills dominated the second quarter. They scored three consecutive touchdowns to go up 31-14 at the half. And then in the third quarter, the Dolphins scored a touchdown to make it 31-20. They went for two. That's why um, it stayed 31-20. Then the Bills scored a field goal and a touchdown in the third quarter to make it 41-20. And then they scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter to make it 48-20. So yeah, the Dolphins were just dominant. And because the the Bill or the uh, the sorry the Bills were dominant, and because the Dolphins were down so much in the second quarter, it forced them to go away from the run game and to throw them all more. That's why they only had 19 carries in this game. I'm sure if this was a more competitive ball game, they would have ran the ball a lot more than 19 times. 
Um, and I was really impressed by how the Bills were able to keep Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in check. In this game, Tyreek Hill caught just three passes for 58 yards. Jalen Waddle caught just four passes for 46 yards. Neither of them had a touchdown. Braxton Berrios actually led the team in targets and catches, which is crazy. Um, I haven't watched the film yet, so I'll have to take a look at the All-22 and see how the Bills were able to keep those guys in check. But yeah, just a really impressive performance from the Bills. Uh, they look like the best team in the NFL at the moment. I pulled up their DVOA, which is an advanced metric that kind of measures uh, team strength and how good teams are on offense, defense, and special teams. At the moment, the Bills rank number one in the league in DVA, or sorry, in total DVOA. Um, and this does adjust, I believe, for strength of schedule which is awesome. They rank number one just ahead of the Miami Dolphins and um, and the San Francisco 49ers, which is great. I can't wait to see how the Bills perform moving forward. Um, they were awesome last year. They were probably the best team during the regular season last year, and they are continuing to play at a very high level. Hopefully their success can carry on into the playoffs. That'd be awesome to see, but yeah, right now, the Bills are playing at a very high level. They have been extremely impressive. Now let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons, my Atlanta Falcons, who at the moment look like an absolute mess, especially on offense. This past weekend, the Falcons lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars 23-7 in London. That was an early game this weekend. It was 9.30 in the morning. If you were able to watch that game, shout out to you. Not going to lie, I was watching it in the middle of church. I am a sinner. Lord forgive me. But yeah, this was, the last two weeks specifically have been really rough um, as a Falcons fan. The Falcons, they were able to win their first two games, um, and then in week three, they lost to the Lions, and, and then this week, they lost to the Jaguars. And their offense has been awful. It's just, it's been really tough to watch, and a big reason why their offense has been performing poorly, especially in the last two weeks. It's because of their quarterback, Desmond Ritter. And that's this is like the main reason I want to talk about the Falcons. Desmond Ritter has been awful. Just point blank, going to be completely honest, going to be brutal about it. He has sucked. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it whatsoever. He's been bad, and he was just unbelievably terrible against the Jaguars. And a big reason, and, and I'm really surprised that he's been this bad. I've always been a little bit anti-Desmond Ritter because I didn't love him as a prospect, and I didn't really understand why the Falcons were tying themselves to him and not going after a high-level quarterback like Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that they should have gotten one of those guys. I'm not saying that they should have done whatever it took to get Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, but still... I don't understand why Desmond Ritter is the reason why you don't go after those guys. Like, if you're not going to go after Lamar or Kyler Murray, the reason should be that you don't want to pay those guys a lot of money and that you don't feel like your team is in a position to take on those guys' contract. It shouldn't be because you're confident in Desmond Ritter. Because before this season, he had only played four games. And although he looked solid in those games... I just didn't think that that was enough to tie yourselves to him. And now I look right because he is sucking it up. I mean, he is playing really, really poorly. 
I'm going to look at his numbers from this game, and I'm not just going to look at the numbers because I did watch this game. Um, in this game against the Jaguars, he completed 19 of 31 passes for 191 yards. That's 6.2 yards per attempt. And he had one touchdown in the second half, two interceptions. He took four sacks, had a QBR of 10.7, and a passer rating of 62.7. Those numbers are really bad, and the, the film wasn't much better. He just, he has a lot of issues at the moment. He takes a lot of sacks. His pocket presence isn't very good. Um, he doesn't sense pressure very well. And even when he does have a clean pocket, he just, I, he doesn't handle it very well. There was a play early on against the Jaguars where he had a super clean pocket, like no pressure whatsoever. But still, he moved up in the pocket for no reason, like he didn't really have to move. And then he took off, started running, and ran right into the defensive line for a sack. And plays like that, are just, you just can't have those. Like, those are huge negative plays. They hurt your ability to score. It's just, like, plays like that are a big reason why I've been so critical of him this year. And then we move on to the interceptions. He had two interceptions in the first half, which were just awful. Just terrible reads. It's like he's not seeing the defense. Um, and he just threw it right to the defense. And then he had another bad throw at one point where he had Matt Collins on a post route, a deep post route, underthrew him by a mile, hit the Jaguars defender right in the hands. He didn't catch it, thankfully, so it wasn't a turnover. But man, plays like that are just like, make me think, wow, this guy cannot play in the NFL. And it shouldn't be the case. He was not playing this poorly last year. Um, I didn't think he was, like, amazing or anything last year, but, like, it wasn't like he was the worst quarterback in the NFL, but now he is playing at that level. Like, he is legitimately in the conversation for the worst quarterback in the NFL. He is playing that poorly. The decision-making as a passer has been off for the last two weeks. His, his pocket presence isn't good, um... And he'll make some solid throws, some nice throws, but it's not enough to overcome all the other just terrible things he's doing as a passer. And he's not running a lot. Like, he doesn't use his legs um, that often. And so that's another issue um, that makes the fact that he's been so bad as a passer even worse. And it's not all on him. He's not the only issue with this team's offense. The offensive line has really struggled at times. They've really struggled in pass protection. I will say that they have had some games where the pass protection has looked fine. Like, I, I thought that it looked okay against Jacksonville. I didn't really notice many issues. Um, same for their game against the Packers. It was really bad against the Panthers and the Lions. But um, in those two games versus the Packers and the Jaguars, I didn't think the pass protection was that bad. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to go back and watch the games and get my eyes checked. But um, just watching the game, it didn't really feel like the offensive line was struggling that much in pass protection. The offensive line has been fine in the run game, but in pass protection, it has had some struggles. Um, and another issue that I've had is the play calling. Desmond Ritter has been really bad, but the coaching staff isn't doing enough to help him out. They're not, you know, scheming up easy throws for him. They're not scheming up, you know, quick passes enough. It feels like every time we drop back to throw the ball, our routes are going beyond the sticks. 
Now, sure, some maybe maybe Desmond Ritter is just missing his checkdown and not looking for it, but it just feels like a lot of their a lot of their passing content, concepts are going deep down the field, um, and Desmond Ritter is just not not handling it well enough to keep doing that. And I would like to see them, you know, incorporate some design quarterback runs moving forward because Des, Desmond Ritter is a really good athlete. He is a fantastic athlete, and he can move outside the pocket. If they would let him do that, you know, run some zone reads, that would be nice to see. They just, they've got to do something to help him out, because although he is struggling, he isn't the only problem. And, and I'm going to be fair. Like, I am going to be critical of Desmond Ritter. I am not going to baby him like a lot of Falcons fans will, but I will also blame the other people around them as well. He is not the only issue. There are other issues that, that are complicating things for him. But yeah, like it, it's been a mess. And now it, you got to ask, like, what are they going to do next? What is the next move? Because Desmond Ritter, you can't keep playing Desmond Ritter if he is going to continue playing at this level. He's been really bad. He's struggling. Um, and you've got two winnable games in the next two weeks against the Texans and the Commanders. The Falcons cannot lose those, those games. They should not lose those games. They are way better than those teams. They should win those games. And if you don't, because Desmond Ritter can't get his crap together, you've got to move on from him. And honestly, I would consider moving on from him now because he's been playing so poorly. The reactions from his teammates are discouraging. There was a video that, that was uh, being spread on Twitter of Matt Collins on the sidelines getting really upset after Desmond Ritter missed him on the deep post. And if things like that are happening, the Falcons got to make a decision and, and they've got to consider pulling the plug on Desmond Ritter and letting Taylor Heineke um, get some reps as the starter. But yeah, the Atlanta Falcons, they've been a mess and it will be really interesting to see how they handle Desmond Ritter moving forward. All right. And now let's end the podcast talking about some rookie NFL quarterbacks. We got three rookie quarterbacks that are playing right now. That's CJ Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson. I want to start off by talking about CJ Stroud, and I'm going to break down all these quarterbacks and talk about how they've been performing this season. So CJ Stroud, man, I cannot say enough good things about him. He has been playing at a ridiculously high level this year. His play has been off the charts good, especially for a rookie. His numbers are really good, um, but like the film has just been ridiculous. The anticipation has been awesome to see. Um, and he's been really, really confident. Like, he had a throw against Jacksonville where he hit um, Tank Dell on a post route. And it was a really interesting, like, a, a really interesting play because they had, they had Tank Dell running a post route on the right side. And then they had, like, an in route or a crossing route from the left side. Um, and the Jaguars were running what looked like, I think it was cover one on that play, uh, cover one man coverage, and the crossing route was open, and I thought he was going to hit him, but he ended up throwing the post route, and the throw was a, it was a great decision, but it was the kind of decision where you have to be really confident, and you have to have a big arm to make that throw, and he ended up completing it for a big gain. It was awesome to see, and that was like that was one play where I was like, "Whoa! Like this guy is different. He's special." 
Um, so it's been really cool to see CJ Stroud playing at a high level. I want to pull up the numbers and see where he ranks in terms of like mechanic stats, like passing yards, because I saw a cool stat yesterday. He he has like over twelve hundred passing yards through his first four games, and the only other quarterbacks to do that recently are like Cam Newton and Andrew Luck, which is insane. Like those those are awesome players. So let me, let me go ahead and and um pull up the stats real quick and see where he's at in terms of passing yards. Let's see. Let's sort this. So, I, I said 1,200. Sorry, I misspoke. I meant 900. I don't know why I said 1,200. I'm just, like, losing my mind, apparently. So, CJ Stroud has over 900 passing yards at the moment. That's through his first three games. Um, have the stats updated? The stats may not be updated. Yeah, the stats actually haven't updated right now. So he actually might be over 1,200 passing yards. Um, that's my mistake. But yeah, so he's been really productive um, so far this season. Um, before all the stats are updated, he is like sixth in passing yards. And that's including the Thursday night game between the Packers and the Lions. I'm sure once the stats are all updated, he'll look really impressive in terms of passing yards. Um, but he's been really accurate. Just the decision-making has been nice. Um, the throwing with anticipation has been awesome to see. He's just looked really, really comfortable, really confident. Um, and it, it's been awesome to see. He's not perfect. He does have a decent amount of turnover-worthy plays. Um, and he hasn't been avoiding sacks as well as he did in college, which isn't really surprising. I mean, the speed of the NFL is a lot different than the speed of the college game, so that's not too surprising to see. But overall, I've been really impressed by, by C.J. Stroud's performance, and the fact that he's been this productive with the roster that he is playing with is really impressive because it's not like he is, he is surrounded by great talent. He's not. His, his offensive line has had some injuries. He's playing with uh, a receiving core that isn't amazing. Obviously, Nico Collins has been great. But besides Nico Collins, he doesn't have a lot of great pass catching talent. So the fact that he has been this productive has been awesome to see. Now let's move on and talk about Anthony Richardson, who hasn't quite been as good as CJ Stroud, but he has still been really impressive in my opinion. Um, he has dealt with a lot of injuries, which has kept him out a little bit. Um, but when he has played, he's been fairly productive, especially as a runner. He has a good number of rushing touchdowns. And I want to talk about his performance versus the Rams th uh, this weekend. Let me pull up the box score. Um, his production versus the Rams this weekend was awesome. Obviously, the Colts lost 29-23, but still, his numbers were pretty good. He had 11 completions. He completed 11 of 25 passes for 200 yards, 8 yards per pass attempt, 2 touchdowns, 0 interceptions, just 2 sacks. He had a QBR of 67.2 and a passer rating of 98.8. He also had 10 carries for 56 rushing yards and a touchdown. So he had 3 total touchdowns. And his, his highlights in this game were ridiculous. He had some absolutely phenomenal throws. He had a throw down the seam to uh, Josh Downs in this game. That was unreal. Um, he also had a throw late in the game on their final drive. I'm, try I'm trying to remember if it was in regulation or overtime. I can't remember when it was, but it was a, a long third. It was like a third and long where they were trying to get in field goal range, um, and I think it was at the end of regulation. 
and he, he hit his receiver with, with a back shoulder throw that was ridiculous. It required a lot of confidence, a lot of arm strength, and pinpoint accuracy, and, and it was a perfect throw. Um, so if you haven't seen his, his performance against the Rams, go back and watch it. Even if you just watch the highlights, it was ridiculous. Some of the throws that he made in this game were were incredible. Um, and so I've, I, I've been really impressed with C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. I think that their performance so far has been really encouraging. Um, you want to see them continue to grow, continue to develop, because they haven't been perfect. They can get better, um, and they will. But the highlights so far this season have been awesome. Um, the flashes have been really encouraging. And I think that those guys... Uh, have the potential to be to be stars in the NFL at some point. Now let's talk about Bryce Young. And Bryce Young has not been quite as good as C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson have, have been. And honestly, he has been kind of kind of bad. Not gonna lie, he's been playing pretty poorly. Um, he's looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league so far. And that's not like surprising. Like it's not surprising that a rookie is playing poorly. But Bryce Young was um, billed as a guy who was NFL ready and could be better right away than a guy like Anthony Richardson. And he just hasn't. He's been playing pretty poorly. Um, he, he's had a lot of turnover-worthy plays. He really struggled in Week One against the Falcons. I was watching that game. He had two really bad interceptions in that game. And the decision-making just hasn't been great early on in the season. Um, against the Vikings this week, he had uh, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, but five sacks. That's a lot of sacks. And I didn't watch this game all the way through, so maybe the offensive, offensive line was playing really poorly. Um, but, man, that's just a lot of sacks. Um, didn't have a lot of big-time throws in this game. Had a QBR of 17.4. And a passer rating of 93.2. Let me see. Did he have a fumble? Did he have any turnovers in this game? He did have one fumble that he lost. That's that's probably a big reason why his QBR was so low. But yeah, it's just Bryce Young hasn't been great early on in the season. He didn't get hurt uh, before last week's game. So he didn't play in their last game uh, before the Vikings game. Um, but just the decision making hasn't been great. Um, the accuracy hasn't been as good as you'd want. Like, he's been less accurate than Anthony Richardson, which just shouldn't happen. Like, Anthony Richardson should be looking more raw than Bryce Young has. Um, but that's just not been the case, and that's been really interesting to see. But yeah, Bryce Young, he's got to get a lot better. He's He has one of the lowest PFF grades in the league uh, right now. He's down there with Desmond Ritter, which which is bad. So I, I want to see him get more comf- comfortable. I know that his supporting cast isn't great, but still, I want to see him playing more comfortable. I want to see him more accurate. I want to see him be more confident. Um, I want to see the decision-making getting better. And I, w- I want to see all three of these players get better at avoiding sacks. Um, that's something that I want to see all three of these guys work on moving forward. But yeah, that's my rookie report uh, for all the rookie quarterbacks in the league, in the NFL at the moment. And that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. I can't wait for um, the next week of football. We got some awesome um, college football games coming up next week. So I'm excited about that. But that's all I have for today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. And I will see you all next time.